Hi, this is Tim Wilson with the Fluent Grace Podcast, welcoming you in to Fluent Grace Preaches. Every now and then, Tyler and I get the chance to preach in a congregational setting, and we wanted to pass that along to you guys. With this, you will get a deeper look into specific passages. So if you want more theological content, here you go. As always, if you have any questions about what you hear, you're welcome to email us at fluentgracepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. The following sermon was preached on October 25th and can be found online at gracechurchtuscaloosa.com. Well, good morning. It is good to be up here this morning and uh, continue on as we're looking in 2 Corinthians. Uh, If you are here last week, we looked at the end of chapter 4. And we're just moving right along. We're going to look at chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to open them uh, to that passage. And we're just going to jump right into things this morning. Now, you know, I think this passage is fairly familiar. uh, And I think even if we just, you know, opened it up and just casually read through it, we'd get kind of an idea of what Paul is trying to communicate uh, in it. And the main point is that our life is temporary, that our home that we are currently in is going to fade away, and at some point we will then be with Christ forever in eternity. That's the general uh, theme of this passage, very similar to last week. Um, and if you look at our, uh, the series, Strength and Weakness, ultimately the, uh, the most ultimate form of weakness that Paul gets into a little bit here is that of death. Okay, that is, in a sense, the most ultimate form of weakness because we cannot hold on to our lives. Um, they are the Lord's. And so, at some point, there's a good chance we're all going to die. And so Paul speaks of that here in this passage. And that's what we're going to look at uh, this morning. Now, Paul's not necessarily saying anything new. right? Everything that we go through in these verses, well, most everything that we go through in these verses this morning is very similar to what was discussed last week. Okay, you may think, I've heard that before. And really, that's what I thought all, basically all this week as I was looking at it. You know, I was sitting over there scratching my head like, we just talked about this. Couldn't we have picked a different passage or something that's not basically the exact same as last week? And then I realized something. I realized that if, I, if we're saying that today, 2,000 years after it was written, I wonder if the Corinthians were saying the same thing. Because we're not making this stuff up. We're literally just going through what Paul is saying. So that means Paul repeated himself. Right? I mean, is that, am I understanding that correctly? All right, so if Paul repeated himself and the Corinthians are sitting there wondering, Paul, dude, you just said this. Why are you saying it again? I think the takeaway for us is fairly obvious, right? Again, it's nothing surprising or new. um, But as we see the writers of Scripture repeating themselves, what does that mean? It's important. And so he didn't, Paul didn't want the Corinthian church, and then by extension us, he didn't want us to miss the point. He didn't want us to miss the point that there is something beyond what we are living through, going through uh, in our present uh, reality. And as soon as you and I start thinking that our current life is all there is, that life becomes more about us 
and less about what God intended it to be. We're really good at making our life about us. Let me rephrase that. I'm really good about making this life about me. You guys may have it figured out a little better than I have. But, right, that's the, that's the reality. All too often we make it about us and less about what God has intended. Uh, and so what Paul's wanting to do here is, is just another reminder, life's not about you. There is something else beyond what you're currently going through and your current reality. And he does this as he has done throughout Corinthians, uh, the second letter of Corinthians, by using a number of pictures and comparisons uh, to help us get the point. Okay? Uh, So that's what we're going to do over the next few minutes. We're going to look at some of these comparisons that Paul gives us to remind us um, uh, that that we are to be encouraged in this life as we look forward to the next. Now, uh, a lot of you know that I am currently going through a uh, master's in biblical studies, which means that at any given time, I have an enormously large stack of books that I have to read. I'm so tired of reading, I'll be honest. Um, after I finish this next year, I probably won't read a book for like five years. Okay, that's just that's the way it is. I'm done with reading. But, right, so I have this stack of books to read. And me and Ben were talking about this morning, it was a couple weeks ago, um, just talking through the passage and some of the things that we're going to look at. And so I kind of, you know, articulated how I felt like this morning was going to go and just the, the rough outline of the morning. And I get back to my desk and I pick up one of those books and I start reading and the very first thing I read is this says the author said when truth lines up next to error the bible next to philosophies of life Christ next to figments of the imagination you can learn to spot the difference in a flash and that's what I think Paul is doing here is he paints all these different pictures and he makes all these comparisons we're lining up our current present reality that often is frustrating and often is something we don't want to be involved in he's lining that up against our future reality in Christ and the intention there is to make the reality with Christ seem so much better that we are longing for that that's what Paul is doing here Um, the negative reality is intended to make the positive so much more amazing exciting beautiful that that's what we're longing for and so that's what he does again in this passage and that's what we're going to look at uh, this morning. So let's start by looking at verses 1 through 4. It says this, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, we are burdened, Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by what is life. The first blank on your outline this morning is uh, our reality. Okay, hopefully you have a worship guide with you. Uh, If you're joining us online, that was posted. There's also a link to that. And just a quick plug for our app. If you download the app, either on Google or Apple, there are sermon notes within the app. So you can sit there and... It's pretty cool. I'm really excited about that. Uh, so don't download it right now because we're doing other things but at some point download it and you can do this next week alright first blank our reality uh, Paul is communicating in, the, in, this, in these verses uh, what seems like two separate realities right? he talks about our earthly home and then our eternal home which again seems separate uh, and many times right, they are but 
um, he connects those two very closely. And he uses a picture in there, uh, the picture of a tent, which makes sense because Paul was a tent maker. So he uses that which he is familiar with to communicate with his reader. Um, The word tent is used a couple different ways in Scripture. Most of the time, it's referred to as a literal, physical dwelling, uh, maybe like the tabernacle in the Old Testament, right? We all remember that. Um, The people of God set up the tabernacle uh, for God's presence. And as they moved through the desert and wilderness towards the promised land, the tabernacle moved with them. Uh, Once they got the temple, though, the tabernacle was no longer needed. Okay, so a lot of times that's what this idea of tent refers to in Scripture. In this particular verse, though, that's not what it's referring to. Obviously, the image is the same, but what this particular verse is referring to is uh, the image of our bodies. For we know that the tent is our earthly home is destroyed. That's a tent referring to our bodies. Um, So, obviously, what is Paul saying there? What we are currently living in will one day be no more. What do we do in this tent? Well, he says it in the passage. He says we groan. We live with longings. We are burdened. Uh, A few days ago, I was uh, taking my kids somewhere, and they have gotten into listening to Adventures in Odyssey. Anybody listen to Adventures in Odyssey? Nice. Like everybody. That's wonderful. Right, so I'm listening to it with them. And this particular one, it was a four-part series or what, four-part episode, if you will. And so we get to the end of episode three, and I have to drop them off. Now, episode three was like this big cliffhanger in Odyssey. It's like you have no idea what's going to happen next. So I drop the kids off, and what do I do? I wait for them to get back in the car to finish listening to it. No. (laughs) I keep listening to it. By myself as I go. Oh, man. Anyway, so what happens in this, though, this is, the Lord told me to listen to this, I guess, because there's a comment made in this episode that was needed for this morning. Okay, we haven't, the kids, I don't think, have listened to episode four yet. But what one of the characters says, and they're going through a rough time, a a time of great trial, uh, the character says this. She says, I just wish I could go to sleep and not wake up until God makes everything right. Oh, man. Is that again? I just wish I could go to sleep and not wake up until God makes everything right. Does anybody in here, have have we felt that at some point? Like, man, this is terrible. I just want to go to sleep, and Lord, when I wake up, I want you to just fix all the problems, all of them. I need you to fix my problems. I need you to fix my family's problems, my neighbor's problems. Just go ahead and fix the world while you're at it. Right? That's what we want. There's, there's groanings, there's longings, there's burdens. And we feel that. We know what that is. Uh, we know what that feels like. All right, we talked about this last week. Ben talked about it pretty, um, uh, in, in some pretty good depth. All right, so this is not anything new. It's familiar. But again, Paul is saying this again. Why? He didn't want the Corinthians to miss the point. So I'll say to us, don't miss the point. As we are going through and having to endure longings and groanings and burdens, we can't forget that um, there's more, right? There's more than this that we're going through. Now, there's a good chance everybody in here is going to die at some point. Good chance. I didn't say it's going to happen. 
right? Have you heard the phrase that somebody famous at some point said? I probably should know this, but I don't. Uh, the only thing certain in life are death and taxes. We heard this? Like two of you. Well done. You listen to Odyssey and don't listen to those things. Um, so that's the, that's the comment that was made. And I think generally speaking, folks kind of agree with that. But according to scripture here, is that the case? That's not certain. It's not certain that we're going to die. Christ may come back before that. Now, I'm not saying that, oh, hey, we're living in the time that Jesus is coming back. People have been feeling that forever. All the way back to Paul. Did you notice how he said in uh, the first part of the verse right there? You notice the little word he used about our earthly tent being destroyed? It's if. He doesn't say when it's destroyed. He said if. Now, why would Paul, the guy who's like second level under Jesus in terms of knowing all things related to life and godliness, why would Paul say if my body is destroyed? All the way back then, there was a question as to maybe Jesus is about to come back. So for now, 2,000 years, every single person and every single generation has been wondering, maybe this is it. Okay? Maybe this is it. So Paul is communicating to the Corinthians um, a truth that Christ may come back. So how then are we to live until that happens? Okay? Um, There is a story in Greek mythology. I'm not an expert in this, but I read it. It's an interesting story about Hercules, who at some point put these two pillars in the ocean and inscribed on them, translated, there's nothing past this. Okay? He wrote, no more beyond. And so what that was intended to communicate to everybody was, if you go past this point, you're going to fall off the world into an abyss of nothingness, never to be able to come back. Spain made that their national motto because they just assumed, hey, all right, sounds good to me. Hercules said it must be true. So a ship would go up to that, say, hey, there's nothing else past this. They would turn around and come back. Now, was that their reality? Yeah. They didn't know anything else. Was that the ultimate reality, though? No. I I mean, the fact that we are here today proves that that was not the case. We all know the little... Phrase 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Here was a guy that said, I'm going to check this out. I'm going to see what's past that. So he did. Now, if you were to tell people in the 13th, 14th century that there was something called Niagara Falls, right? These big waterfalls, it was really awesome. They would have been like, wow. Now, they have waterfalls in Europe, so let's go with uh, Grand Canyon. All right, have you heard of this Grand? It's like a big old hole in the ground. They would probably say, sounds really cool. I've seen holes in the ground, though. Um, but then you say, let's, let's fast forward to like 2020 a little bit. You say, hey, have you heard of these things called murder hornets? <laughs> right? Mouths hang open. They're like, I had no idea. Because their reality is they're just, they're right here. They're not going past the place that Hercules said, don't go past here. Okay, so this is, um, this is their perspective. Now, now, this would have, it would have blown their mind. It was their reality, but it wasn't the ultimate reality. And this is a great picture of what Paul's communicating. He says, we may feel like the groanings, the longings, the burdens, right? You may feel like that's your reality. And in a sense, it is because we're having to go through it. But you've got to remember, uh, there's more beyond. 
Paul says to the church at Philippi, right, our citizenship is in heaven. He doesn't say it will one day be in heaven. He says it's in heaven. Okay, so he is communicating this idea that while we are going through all the things here on earth, at the same time, we have an eternal uh, citizenship. So, what's his encouragement in the midst of the trials? Encouragement is there's more beyond. Okay, there's more beyond. Uh, Second point, let's look on verses 5 to 7. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Now, we spent the first few minutes talking about our uh, heavenly uh, reality, the future reality. But I want us to ask one question here, based on this passage here. How does God prepare us for that eternal reality? Okay, Because the verse says, he who has prepared us for this very thing um, is God. So, how does he prepare us for this? Well, there's a couple ways. One, uh, the Lord puts in each and every one of our hearts a longing for eternity. So one of the ways he prepares us to live in his kingdom for the rest of forever is he gives, gives us a longing for that. Uh, he gives us a desire to understand more about that, to, to know more about that. Right? That desire that's in each one of us, that's something that is put there by the Lord. So that's one way he prepares us. The second way he prepares us, though, um, is uh, he redeemed us. That's the second blank on your outline is redemption. Our redemption. How has God prepared us for eternity? By redeeming us. Do you realize that without being redeemed, we don't get to experience the future reality with Christ? If we're not redeemed, that's not a part of our future. By paying the ransom so that we and all of creation um, can be uh, with him, By paying that ransom, he allowed us to partake in that. Because remember, God's design was what? All the way back in Genesis 1, his design was that you and I would walk with him. All the time. We would get to be with him. We would get to enjoy his his physical, literal presence at all time. That was his design. But then what happened? Genesis 3 happened. Man sinned. And so ever since then, we've been living in a state of brokenness, of fallenness, of sin and imperfection. So Christ had to do something. He had to come and redeem us from that state so that we would have the opportunity uh, to live with him. Uh, Romans 8, which is a parallel passage to this one that we're looking at this morning. 18 to 23, I think it is. Uh, Paul communicates something very similar. Uh, I would encourage you to go look at that. We're not going to read it today, um, this morning. But the end of that passage says, We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Okay, so Paul's saying to another one of the churches, What we're longing for is to be redeemed. And he connects the idea of redemption with our bodies, similar to what he does here in 2 Corinthians. Okay, so we are longing for the redemption of our bodies. Now, last week the word that was used was resurrection. Uh, This week is is redemption. Those two words are very similar. But before we can be resurrected to new life in Christ, what has to happen? We have to be redeemed. Um, 
That's exclusive language. And it's language that's not generally accepted in our culture. Right? Everybody likes the idea of redemption and going to heaven and living with Jesus, but they don't understand the fact that before that can take place, there has to be redemption. Christ has to do something with the sin that is in my heart before I can live with him. And even for a lot of us in the church, right, a question comes up when we hear this type of language. It's like, well, have I really been redeemed? Do I get to participate in that? Paul answers that question here in verse 5. How does he answer that? Uh, He says, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Okay? That's how we know that, that we have been redeemed. Now, let's take this one more level. Uh, how do we know that we have the Spirit indwelling us, living with us? Because if it's a guarantee of our future reality with Christ as redeemed people, we need to know and feel confident about the fact that we have uh, the Holy Spirit living within us. Uh, I read a great answer to that uh, by John Piper, a guy a lot smarter than I am, so I'm just going to read this. He, the Holy Spirit, imparted life. He gave you life so that you would no longer be dead, no longer be blind, no longer be hostile to God, no longer be able to please, no longer be unable to please God, no longer be rebellious, no longer view the cross as foolishness. Instead, you saw the glory of Christ in the gospel. You saw it as more beautiful, more desirable than the things of this world. You were made alive by the Spirit of God. God was real and precious and beautiful. You were no longer blind. You saw the cross and Christ and his way and his word as more attractive than the promises of sin. Instead of hostility to God, you loved him and wanted to please him. Instead of doubt and suspicion and hardness, you saw his promises as true and you trusted in them. You banked on those promises. Christ became your treasure. That's how you know you're alive. That's how you know you're converted. That's how you know you have faith. That's how you know the Holy Spirit is within you. None of that would be happening if the miracle of God's Spirit uh, we're not present and true in your life. Now, is that the full, exhaustive answer as to how do I know and how do I recognize the Holy Spirit's work in my life? No, not necessarily. There are other things that could have been added to that list, obviously. But what I hope that does is give us some measure of encouragement that we are redeemed and that we have the Holy Spirit living in us as a guarantee. We just sang about it a few minutes ago, my inheritance. How do we know we have this inheritance We have it because of the Holy Spirit in our lives who is confirming with us that we are redeemed and we have a future reality with Christ. All right, third section, verses 8 to 10. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The third blank is response. What is our response? Remember, this is kind of the closing section of a longer uh, piece of Paul's letter. Going all the way back to chapter 4 that we talked about last week through this morning, this is one long section. And these are the verses he closes the section out with. It's almost like, think about it, if you're writing a letter to somebody, you break up your, your different thoughts into paragraphs, or you, that's basically what Paul's doing here. Okay, So this is the end of one thought in his letter. 
The thought closes with these verses. So what's our response? Uh, The response is, we make it our aim to please him. That's what he says. We make it our aim to please him. Whether we are um, uh, at home in the body, whether we're with the Lord, we want to please him. Now, obviously, this is not a works-driven, you know, something that is based on the law that I've got to do this, this, and this for Christ to love me and accept me. That's not it at all. We know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Okay, so we know that. But at the same time, we have a responsibility. You and I have a responsibility day in and day out as followers of Christ to please the Lord. Uh, Our future reality with Christ should always inform our present reality here on earth. It's the way it is. Right, Because if we don't have a forward-thinking mind looking to what is beyond, then we are just going to live for ourselves here on earth. Uh, there may be a temptation if you read the last part of chapter 4, first part here of chapter 5, uh, even some other scriptures. There may be a temptation to think, well, right, if I'm to be thinking about what is beyond, if I'm to be looking forward, Uh, then I just need to kick back, relax, go live in a cave somewhere and wait for either Jesus to return or to die. It'll be a lot easier that way, a lot simpler. Um, I'll stay out of a lot of trouble. Uh, I won't be tempted tempted in as many ways. Paul says in Philippians that in his mind to die was gain. To depart and be with Christ was far better than what he was having to endure. Is this true? Absolutely. But what do we miss? What else did he say in that passage? He says to live is Christ. To live is Christ. You and I have a responsibility that as we go through the groanings, the longings, uh, the sufferings, the burdens, all the way through them, our aim is to please the Lord. Um, Paul doesn't leave it at that, however. He closes out with a verse that talks about the judgment seat of Christ. Now, um, that's a relatively unique Uh, phrase that Paul uses here. In fact, he only uses it twice in the New Testament. There are references to it many places, but in terms of that phrase itself, it's only used twice. I think for a lot of us, uh, we kind of fall one of two ways if we read that passage. We either read it with a level of anticipation, knowing that, hey, one day I'll be in eternity with the Lord, and this is going to be part of that, um, I've, I've lived for him. Hopefully at that point, I will be told, well done, good and faithful servant, which is what Jesus mentions in the gospel. Right? That's, that's one thought that we may have when we read that. Uh, the other thought, or the other group of us, we may just try not to think about it. Um, because we're filled with shame, regret, condemnation about something we may have done, something we may currently be doing, Right? We know that we haven't been able to live up to God's standards. So anytime we hear the, the, the idea that God will judge, we get real nervous. We get real anxious. And we start to fear. I want us to listen to what Scripture says about those who have trusted in Christ. Uh, Psalm 103. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. As the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Micah 9, he will again have compassion on us, will subdue our iniquities. 
He'll cast them, all of our sins, to the depths of the sea. Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation for those in Christ. John 5, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 John 2, and now little children abide in him, that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed at him before his coming. That's what scripture says about our position as followers of Christ, for those that are in Christ. When we stand before Christ at the judgment seat, there isn't to be any condemnation or shame or guilt or feelings of inadequacy. It's confidence in who Christ is. The fact that he has taken all of our sin, he's thrown them away, and now he is rewarding us for a life lived for him. Paul says we make it our aim to please him, for one day we're going to be before the judgment seat of Christ. This is not anything that, that, we, that we, we shrink away from, but it's something that for the follower of Christ we look forward to in anticipation. Because of the redemption he has provided us through Christ, we make it our aim to please him. Because of the eternal home that has been provided for us, we make it our aim to please him. Because of the Holy Spirit he has given to guarantee our inheritance, we make it our aim to please him. Because of the love with which he has loved us, may we love him by pleasing him in every part of our life. That's what our response is to be. I'm going to ask the praise team to go ahead and come on up. Um, We're going to end with uh, a song. But as I do, one comparison that I kind of skipped over uh, a few minutes ago uh, is in verse 7. And the comparison Paul makes here is the comparison between walking by faith and walking by sight. We know that. We've heard that. Uh, We understand that, as has already been said from Ephesians, Right? Faith is of utmost importance for the believer. But did you know faith is not the ultimate characteristic of the believer? One day, we're not going to have to operate by faith or in faith. One day, we'll get to look at Jesus and our faith will be visible. Ultimately, what that does is it allows us to stand before the judgment seat of Christ in confidence. And the way that we do that, it's not because of all the good stuff that we've done, but it's because of Christ. How he has given us the ability to be pleasing to him. We'll stand before him not feeling guilty or condemned, not with feelings of anxiety or fear. Because the one who walks with us through the groanings, longings, brokenness, trials, pain, frustrations is Jesus. And as he walks with us through these things, we can look forward to what is beyond with confidence. All of the brokenness of this life, and there's plenty of it, points us to Jesus. Because what it does is we see how bad this is and how frustrating and how hard it should make the beauty of Jesus that much more amazing. That's what keeps us longing for eternity. It allows us to not get satisfied here, but to look ahead to what is to come. One day we'll be able to look on Jesus, and instead of looking around and seeing racial injustice, political divide, and relational conflict, you see Jesus. You look around and you see Jesus.
That's what should encourage us as we look forward to eternity. We're going to close out by singing a song. Um, it's by Phil Wickham. Uh, it's a song we haven't sung in here before. So you're welcome to stay seated. Um, but I'd like to invite you to use these lyrics and these words to grow and deepen an anticipation for eternity. In this song, you have the gospel. You have the anticipation for what is to come and the reminder that Jesus is beautiful. And that is what we are ultimately looking forward to. Uh, I would, if you're here this morning and are unsure as to whether you have a future eternity with Christ, um, I would encourage you before you leave to talk with somebody about it. Because this is the reality. Future reality is that the believer will be with Christ. Don't leave this morning if there's a question as to whether or not that's for you or not. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for uh, your beauty. We thank you that you take the broken and you make it whole. We thank you that you take the trials and frustrations and you use them to paint a picture of how good you are. We pray that even as we go through the brokenness of our lives this week, maybe even today, that we would remember that this is intended to point us to something more, something better, and that's the beauty of Jesus. It's in Christ's name, amen.